Welcome to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and practice leaders, hosted by Cheryl Toth and Mike Sakopoulos, and produced by Green Branch Publishing. Hey, Tofi, have you ever done any of those ancestry DNA tests? You know, the uh, spit in the tube, find out that you're 57.8% Lithuanian or some such thing? <laughs> well, yes, I have, Mike. I actually have done 23andMe. Uh, and okay. uh, as well, in the 90s, I did a study with um, National Geographic. But yeah, 23andMe tells me I am 69.7% Eastern European, which jives with my knowledge of my family because I'm very Hungarian. My father was 100% Hungarian, and uh, I have Ukrainian in my blood as well. Very, uh, very, very interesting. What is the appropriate social response to that, Tothi? Am I to say congratulations, or how, how does one I react guess you could... to the description of what percentage your heritage is? <laughs> well, I guess in my case, you could say Jodogelt, which is, <laughs> which is Hungarian for good morning. That's all I know. <laughs> oh, wait, I know how to say thank you. Uh, kissing him. <laughs> no. I, I, I don't know the proper response, but I can tell you that um, I'm also like 20 more percent Southern, Southern European. So I'm solidly European. But, you know, we digress on all of the ancestry stuff. Why are you asking me this question? It's a very interesting way to start the podcast today. Okay. Well, you know, I've been, and you probably have too, been hearing a lot of these ads for these type of, of services, right? And while yep. the ads... I have to say, are not particularly clever. The idea behind these companies, I find, is smart. Build up a database of DNA profiles and associated health information to be used to promote medicine and healthcare. Yeah, I think it's, it's very smart. And in fact, this is the kind of information we'll need for precision medicine and all the things that are coming down the pike. And I firmly believe we should all be excited about what's possible and what could come out of these enormous genetic databases. Yep, absolutely. And today we are extraordinarily lucky to have a guest that is at the forefront of the use of this type of information for healthcare. Oh, right. This is your interview with Dr. Anthony Slonum mm -hmm. of Renown Health. He is really a national leader, and um, I can't wait to hear that interview. But first, you know what we have to do. Oh, we do. That's right, Tothi. It's time for the word of the show. Yes, it is. Let's hear it, my friend. Okay. So this week, I chose a word in honor of my, uh, my teenage son, Alexander, who's just started, at the time we're recording this, summer, summer break. Mm -hmm. So here's the word in honor of, of Alexander. Okay. Insouciant. Ooh. And that is, that is an <laughs> adjective that means showing lack of concern, untroubled. Well, are you saying Alex is enjoying his time off maybe a little too much? Oh, yeah. Break? So he is, he is fully embraced an insouciant lifestyle <laughs> at, the, uh, at the moment, much, much to his mother's dismay. That's so funny. All right. Well, on that note, let's jump into your interview with Dr. Anthony Slonum. My guest is Dr. Anthony Slonum. Dr. Slonum is the CEO of Renown Health of Nevada. He is, currently holds appointments in clinical, um, <clears throat> in, is a clinical uh, professor in the departments of internal medicine and pediatrics at the University of Nevada, Reno, a school of medicine. 
Dr. Slonim is an author of over 100 publications in 15 textbooks. And Dr. Slonim is editor-in-chief of the Physician Leadership Journal, published by the American Association for Physician Leadership. If that's not enough, and surely it is, Dr. Slonim has helped launch the nation's first-ever community-based population health study with Desert Research Institute and personal genetics company 23andMe. Dr. Slonim, Welcome to Sound Practice. Mike, great to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for, for joining us. Uh, for those of our listeners that are not familiar with Renown Health, could you give us a little bit of an overview? Absolutely. So Renown Health is a vertically integrated health system in Rio, Nevada. We have three acute care hospitals, <clears throat> a rehabilitation hospital, and all of the other major constituents of a complicated health system, like a medical group with 400 providers, a rehabilitation hospital, home health, a fully built out children's hospital. And we serve the needs of our community, both from a health and a healthcare perspective, with a thousand inpatient beds and a range of services on the outpatient side, including urgent care, emergency departments, and a variety of other important um, mechanisms of health and healthcare. Excellent. Well, I'm excited. I'm, I mentioned in the, the introduction uh, that you, you've helped launch Healthy Nevada Project, and I'm, I'm excited to learn more. Can you give our listeners an, an overview of that project? Absolutely. And, and again, thank you. We could talk about this project all day long. <clears throat> you know, we think ultimately it is one of the best strategic planning projects that we've got here in our health system and for our community from a public health perspective. And effectively what we've done is we've taken an opportunity to combine clinical data that comes from the encounters of care, social data from publicly available databases like crime rates and environmental um, kinds of data. We've added to that the opportunity for people to join in and gave free genetic testing, first with 23andMe as our vendor and then with Helix as our partner, so that we could add to the mix genomic information. And with those different domains of information, we're actually going about using our our great scientists at the Desert Research Institute to go about fact-finding and prediction to understand the risks to health and and the disease states we have in our community. And it is the first population-based genetics testing program in the country. We've now got 40,000 participants over the course of the last couple of years, and we've just recently expanded statewide to Las Vegas, which is eight hours away or so from our home location in Reno. Very excited as we go about this work in the Health in Nevada project and look forward later this year to partner with other health systems outside of Nevada as we launch what will be called the Healthy USA Project. Well, congratulations. That sounds like things are, are going, going quite well. One of, the, one of the concerns that I know has come up in, in other areas, maybe not with, with Healthy Nevada Project, is that concern of of privacy, of of patient privacy or or individual uh, privacy. Has that been an issue for for your project? 
But, you know, Mike, we've been very fortunate and, you know, there's both good planning that comes on your side and, and quite a bit of luck as you engage with smart people who really know the ins and outs of this privacy work and to make sure that the data are, you know, the utmost of protected and firewalled. A couple of things that I think are relevant for the conversation. First, <clears throat> Desert Research Institute, uh, who's our partner, is in control of the data. There are a, there's a firewall between the research participants and their engagement with Desert Research Institute and Renowned Health. And we've done that purposefully because we want to protect participants from the movement of their information into the clinical domain and therefore put them at risk potentially for insurance bias, right? Their ability to get insurance mm. information. Uh -huh. So I think grounding principle number one is this is written as a research proposal and it's up to the participants if they want to share information with their doctors and their healthcare team. That's very important. The second important piece of this is, well, what about the data itself? <clears throat> Obviously, numerous passwords, highly protected information behind firewalls, so no one except for the principal investigator has the code, if you will, to unlock some of the important elements here. And we share the data in a de-identified way for research purposes when we're going about you know, trying to find patterns of illness and disease in the community. And so there's several layers of protection here. <clears throat> but again, we always keep privacy issues top of mind for us, even though we're now two years into the project, because we know how important that is for our participants and for each one of us. So it sounds like people are, are more than willing to uh, to participate <laughs> if they're trying to help the, uh, the greater good is in themselves as well, right? Absolutely. We like to think of the project as being aimed at two different levels. <clears throat> at the individual level, which is the level that most physicians operate in, it's the relationship between the doctor and the patient that allows them to have a, what I will call a curative or a beneficial relationship over time. You go to your doctor with your utmost secrets and concerns, and the doctor engages in a, in a relationship with you that helps you overcome those health risks or health concerns. And we similarly have a relationship at the population level. This usually falls not in the doctor-patient relationship, but in the public health domain. And as we're thinking about how do we improve care for people, one person at a time, when you add and sum those people up, either by a community block or a neighborhood or a region, you actually get to the public health opportunities. And that's one of the driving forces between, behind the Healthy Nevada Project. We've known that our health outcomes as a state are not where we want them to be. We rank cons consistently in the bottom five states in the nation from a health outcomes perspective. And this is one attempt to improve that work and make sure that we're going to the next level with identified areas of improvement as a part of the project. So you've, you've had to have generated some incredible data with 40,000 participants. Have there been things that su have surprised you coming yeah. out of that data? Yeah, we're always surprised. We get, we get more and more opportunities and that's why it's always important to go to the data. 
let the data speak to you and help you understand what the patterns of illness and health are in your in your community. So here's a couple of things we've learned. We we've learned a little bit about how air quality affects uh, some important conditions that lead to adverse hospital admission. We've learned both on the on the heart side of the world as well as on the lung side of the world. That's been pretty instructive. Hmm. Because imagine if you could really help people to live differently by sending them, putting them on a group text or letting them know that the weather pattern has changed or that they're at risk from admission from some lower lung disease or more importantly, that they should try and prevent it by staying indoors. Those are all things that are now available to us as we go about not only identifying problems, but working on making sure we prevent and fix them. So that's one important thing. I think the other thing that we have, that, that we just started to do probably three months or so ago, is we've actually started to give information back to people. So we are the only place uh, the only project genetically based in the country that's giving individuals back results. So if you are a carrier of the BRCA gene, which is the breast and ovarian cancer precursor gene, uh, we're, we've now identified the 127 people in our community who have that gene and have given them that feedback with appropriate algorithms to help them direct their care. We've done the same things with Lynch syndrome, a precursor to colon cancer, and familial hypercholesterolemia. And what's most novel about it is you would be surprised to learn that some people don't have a doctor. And this is an opportunity to engage them with the healthcare system, help them understand what their risks are, help them understand what educational opportunities they have. And so we like to think of this effectively as one of the biggest health literacy projects in the country. Because some people engage in the conversation just because they're interested in their ancestry or where they came from. And at the other end of the spectrum, you have examples like I just gave you, where people have a real illness or condition that's genetically predetermined and we can help them reduce their risk by changing their behaviors. Well, that, that's exciting. And I know that you have a, a strong background in, in public health, advanced, advanced degree in that, that topic. And you've spoken in the past about people being able to act upon information that is given to them, whether it's through genetic testing or, or in a clinical situation. And, and I, I thought that, that was some of those comments were, were valuable. Would you take a minute to, to talk about what you see some of the problems and, and how to address them um, on your, your public health level. Sure. I mean, I think <clears throat> the reason that we call this a great strategic planning opportunity is because we'll know many years before some of these conditions become clinically relevant, right? Let me give you an example. The usual way in which breast cancer is identified is either that the woman identifies the breast mass themselves and some themselves and goes to their primary care doctor for examinations then referred either for ultrasound mammography or perhaps to a surgical visit we're now getting ahead of that curve by a number of years and giving people an understanding of their risk even before the disease becomes clinically relevant well that's that's important 
As a cancer survivor myself, I would suggest to you that the best opportunity we have to cure cancer is when it's first diagnosed. And so I'm excited by the fact that even before people get symptoms, like when I had my cancer diagnosed, I had symptoms. You know, how can we get ahead of that and actually help them to screen, do surveillance, and improve across the community even before they get symptoms? And that, my friend, is a really important piece of where the public health aspects of this come together. I would imagine incredibly powerful. Excellent. Another place which is <clears throat> a little bit unique, Mike, but I'm excited about the way in which we're testing it. You have to remember that the usual way in which healthcare is provided in this country is that a patient seeks out a clinician, usually a physician, has a conversation that's called the history, where you identify a variety of your family history, what's wrong with you today, why are you here, um, a little bit about your social history, do you smoke or drink, what kind of exercise do you do, a little bit about your family, your children, your parents, your aunts and uncles, etc. And then does a physical examination, comes up with an impression about what might be wrong with you if you come for sickness. Well, in this project, in the Healthy Nevada project, we've effectively helped to crowdsource genetic testing. You don't need a doctor's prescription to participate in our project. All you need to do is say, hey, I want to learn a little bit more. I'm a smart individual, and I understand, you know, a little bit about what this genetic, the promise of the genetic testing is for me individually and my family, and I put my hand up. I want to participate, <clears throat> and if appropriate, get results back about a range of conclusions, including my ancestry and whether, I'm not, whether or not I'm at risk of a disease or condition. I can then decide, as the owner of my health, whether or not to take those data and that information to my doctor and have a conversation or not. And so when you ask the question about whether or not the Health in Nevada project may, may create some insecurity around privacy, particularly for pre-existing conditions and insurance, the answer, my, re my response is no, because we're leaving it up to the individual themselves to figure out with obviously an informed state whether or not they want to have that conversation and include this information in their medical record. But you have to understand that's a very different way in which we're approaching the issues of health and healthcare. It's not through the physician-patient relationship. It's through a learned, informed individual person who can work independent of their healthcare provider and make informed decisions about their destiny and their self-determination from a genetics perspective. Does that make sense? It, it does. And I think that you'd agree with me that there are any number of studies that show patients actively involved in their, in their own care to do better than, than others. That's, right? That's so by involving right. them, you would have expect better outcomes. Is that correct? That's exactly right. There's no one who's got more of a vested interest in changing behavior than the person who's affected and helping them to understand how the change in attitude, the change in behavior could ultimately reduce or mitigate a genetic risk is really important. Just because you're predetermined genetically, there's an important interplay, obviously, between 
genes or what we call nature and nurture, your environment. And so that tension really is important to help people understand just because you have a risk point doesn't mean you can't overcome it with some change in behavior, attitude, a good amount of hope, and doing the right things to improve your health status. And do you have estimates as to what this does as far as savings? Because it would seem to me that there would need to be fewer dollars spent in the long run. Is that correct? Well, a great question. We have not interrogated that question yet, right? Because on balance, <clears throat> what we know is if you, if you identify conditions earlier, not only are they your best opportunity to cure them, but there is the opportunity to make sure that you're kind of getting ahead there and hopefully get more specific and earlier treatments that are not as aggressive, right? So on sure. average, they would cost less. However, we also are aware that in our current environment, testing often begets more testing. So one of the criticisms of population-based genetic screening is that, oh, well, in order to refute the finding on the genetics test, that will mean more testing clinically, more MRIs, more CT scans, more, more conditional mm -hmm. uh, testing, blood tests to find out if the patient actually has or does not have the condition that's the genetic test screen for. I think we have to get past that. I think we honestly have to think about what the total costs of care are, because that's the way you'll understand whether or not the health system as a whole is saving money in part by the earlier diagnosis balanced out by the higher costs of making sure that uh, the tests are actually accurate and effective. So as a physician, I think you would be able to, to appreciate that, that medicine's really a, a mixture of, of science and art. And one of my fears is that we've downgraded or, or, or moving away from the art of medicine. Is that, is that a fear you, you share or am I um, out of line? No, I, I think that there's an important balance that comes between the art and science of medicine. What we know today is far greater than any scientific knowledge we had merely a half a century ago. When you think about how only in the last century you know, was penicillin discovered, and you know, myself as an ICU doctor, here we are providing advanced technologies to people that can support every single organ system in an evidence-based way. I can support your lungs with a ventilator, your kidneys with dialysis, your heart with a ventricular assist device, and I can keep supporting you up until the point when the science gives out. And at some point, all we have left is our ability to be humane, our ability to be caring, our ability to understand the boundaries of when science has gone too far and make sure that we're putting an appropriate border around that so that we're humanely and humanistically caring for the people who have chosen to come to us. I think there's an important balance there. And I like to encourage all of the medical students that I still teach that you've got to have this balance. We want you to be evidence-based, that's the science part, but we want you to enter the field of medicine because of your humanity and the fact that you're a well-educated person who just wants to genuinely help others. Well, uh, well said.
The new book, Tweets, Likes, and Liabilities, Online and Electronic Risk to the Healthcare Professional, is an essential guide for physician leaders and healthcare organizations that are looking to identify and mitigate areas of digital risk. Sound Practice podcast host Mike Sakopoulos and co-author Susan Gay address the tricky issues related to EHRs, mobile devices, email, websites, and social media. This essential book will give you peace of mind by flagging areas of risk and then provide guidance and templates to address that risk. Each chapter is packed with practical tips and also included are bonus templates that will save you time and effort. Templates for your mobile device policy, social media policy, business associate agreement, photo and video release, plus others. Tweets, likes, and liabilities, online and electronic risk to the healthcare professional by Michael Sakopoulos and Susan Gay, published by Green Branch Publishing. Order your copy today in print or convenient ebook at greenbranch.com. You're in a position to see healthcare trends on the national level. What excites you about the future of healthcare? Oh, there's so many things. You know, I often will say that um, if I had 10 lifetimes, I would spend them all in medicine doing different things because it is such a robust field to be in. All I've ever wanted to do is to be a physician. And now to be able to wake up every day and not only be able to help people on an individual level, whether they're, you know, other physicians or employees or members of the community, but to be able to help a community, a region, or in the Healthy Nevada Project example, even a state or nation is pretty, pretty rewarding. I might do a different specialty. I might not be an ICU doctor the next time I came back, but I, I would definitely choose, I think there's so much that young people can aspire to in our industry, uh, whether you're an accountant or whether you're a, you, you have a clinical interest. Before I went to medical school, I was a nurse. And, you know, wow, nurses give back in a way that you could only imagine. It's, it's the caring, it's the listening, it's the partnering with people to help them get better. Healthcare is an amazing industry. On the horizon, I think the challenge is we are becoming, as you pointed out, much more tech savvy. So we've got cell phones now and we can get into people's, uh, virtually see them and never have to see them in person. Nothing though, with all of the great things that we see coming technologically, nothing replaces the holding of a hand and the looking in the eye, or the putting your arm around someone's shoulder and telling them it's going to be okay. And that, my friend, is the art of medicine that we have to make sure we don't lose on the horizon as all these other good technological improvements are coming our way. Excellent. Our guest has been Dr. Anthony Slotum of Renowned Health in Nevada. Dr. Slotum, thank you so much for your time. This has been fascinating. Mike, thank you for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. Wow, Dr. Slonem, his Healthy Nevada project is impressive. This guy rocks. Right? I was struck by Dr. Slonem's thoughtfulness and, and engagement. Look, this guy is all in. Absolutely. And Mike, that brings us to the end of another episode of Sound Practice, doesn't it? 
It does indeed. I hope everybody enjoyed our interview with Dr. Anthony Slonim. If you did, please consider rating us on Apple Podcast or Google Play. Yeah, we sure would like that. And if you'd like to give us feedback directly or make a suggestion about the podcast, please email us at feedback at soundpracticepodcast.com. Hey, and please join us next time on Sound Practice. Don't forget, we release an episode every other Wednesday. Bada bing, bada You've been listening to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and practice leaders. Check out the show notes for this episode at soundpracticepodcast.com. If you have any suggestions about future episodes, we'd love to hear them. Email us at info at soundpracticepodcast.com. Subscribe to Sound Practice wherever you listen to podcasts. Sound Practice is presented and produced by the team at Green Branch Publishing. For the best in practice management, journals, books, newsletters, and on-demand programming for physicians and practice executives, visit greenbranch.com. But man Robin, Red Book Kapow.